We love you guys. Glad to have all of our visitors here today. I hope you feel at home. In fact, just welcome home. That's what I want to say, welcome home. And, um, and I appreciate you. I, I want to get right into the Word uh, this morning. Um, I'm going to talk about a subject called mistaken identity. And notice that I've spelled this wrongly, not because I uh, don't know how to spell, because I'm kind of a tickler for spelling but there's, there's a particular uh, message in this name, actually, in that uh, I want to talk to you about your identity, but I want to talk to you about how many times we have uh, taken the wrong identity. We have mistaken the wrong identity. So that's the idea behind that. We miss something in trying to be something that we were never meant to be and end up doing things we never intended to do, all based out of a false identity. And kind of the, the, uh, the underneath line there, or the subtitle, I guess is the way, is uh, living authentic lives in a fake world. How many of you know this is a fake world? Just how many of you know, how many of you ever been on Facebook? It's all fake. We're in a day where you can't trust the news anymore because it's fake. We never could trust politicians because they've always been fake. Amen. Is that news to anybody? I don't know. Anyway, so I mean, everything, it seems, you know, we, we paint appearances. We, we, we live in a world of commercialism. You know, uh, everything, is, everything is presented with a front to try to convey a message. But many times when you peel back the, 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 the veneer, there's something phony. There's something fake about it. And um, it's just like, let's say Christmas. You know, isn't it amazing that Christmas trees this year showed up before Halloween? And people are trying to convey that Christmas is about trees and about ornaments and, and get you shopping and get you buying things for people because after all, that's what Christmas is all about. But I think you saw Christmas in the face of those children and what you see in Christmas is a message of hope, and and you know, and we get all swept up. And I know you're gonna, you're already in it. Some of you, you know, and then we're coming into Thanksgiving, and then Black Friday. Oh my Lord! And if you go shopping on Black Friday, my I will have my office open for counseling all day Friday. <laughs> and uh, I mean, ugh, I, I made the mistake one time because I heard about all these stories, and so I decided this a few years ago I was going to go to the mall and see if it was all true. And yes, it's all true. I got assaulted in the parking lot. And this lady, I mean, she assaulted me and gave me half the peace sign. <laughs> and I, and all I, had, I was parked. I mean, I, I, and I couldn't move. I had cars in front of me. I had cars behind me. And she backed into me like I was just supposed to disappear. And then yelled at me for being there. And then my divine nature took over. And I got out of the car and was going to lay hands on her. And my wife stopped me. Thank you, honey. Thank you very much. So anyway, I mean, and, and, and then we go, whoa, isn't Christmas wonderful? <laughs> whoa, if that's Christmas, you can have it. But we all know that we all know life is built around a lot of fake things. And, and unfortunately, a lot of us are, are fake. We're not living authentic lives. In fact, when it comes to church, church is conveyed as like a bunch of people that we all got our act together. I, I, for the sake of all of our visitors, I just want to welcome you to the messiest church in Northwest Indiana. You, you are in, like, we are a mess. And some of it's kind of scary. No, I, I'm being honest with you. I mean, that's the, the authenticity of this is really that we are not people who like have it all together. I told somebody the other day, I had it all together once and then I forgot where I put it. <laughs> I mean, because this is not what we convey here. We don't convey that we have our act together. We're, we're a people who are in a process. I'm a person, you're looking at a preacher, a pastor, a, a minister, whatever label you want to put me. You, I just prefer to be looked at like a person. Because a lot of times people like hold you up and they go, well, you're a preacher. Yeah, but I'm just as messed up as you are. 
does that, does that offend anybody? Here's what you should do. You should go find a perfect church and go visit it. And if you find it, let me know because I'd like to see one. I've never been in a perfect church. I've never been in a place where I, I could say, well, I'd, I've never failed because I, I'd like to say, you know, God, God, he just, he makes successes out of everything. Well, I, I just know that we come with our messes. And so that, that's kind of what I want to convey to you today because here's what happens if we're not careful, we get the mistaken idea that if we take on the right identity and pre present it out in front of us, that everything is going to be okay when in reality, you know, we really don't portray what is real. And so we're going to go back. I, I actually, uh, I actually don't know what I'm, oh, it's upside down in my hand. <laughs> A mistake. First one of the day. So, so I want to ask you this question, who are you? Look at your neighbor and say, who are you? Do, and, 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 then, and then look at them back and say, well, who are you? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> and, 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 and so I want to ask you this question, though. Do you know you? Do you really know you? Do you know the real you? And does anyone really know you? Or do they just know the person that you let in, the person that you portray in that little glimpse because a lot of us deal with things that we won't let people in because we're afraid if they really find out who we are, they wouldn't have anything to do with us and we can't handle rejection very well because that's just something that we fought our whole lives. So I kind of went over this and we're going to go back over some scriptures and some of you are going to be astonished because I want you to go back with me to Genesis 26 and we're going to go to Jacob. When I walked out of here last Sunday and I shared my heart and I and I talked to you about father wounds last week, and if you'll go to the podcast, you can listen to that message because it is going to fold into this. I'm going to use a few verses that I used last week, but we're going to go to part two of part six of part whatever, and, uh, and this is an entirely different message, but, but it's, I'm going to give you these verses that I used last week so I can get to a portion of scripture that I never got to last week. And the Lord spoke to me this week and said, I want you to tell them that they have a new name. And I'm like, well, okay. And I, so I went back and I, I reread the life of Jacob. And so I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of the beginning, but we're going to end today with the end of Jacob's life. All right, so in Genesis 26, and actually I think it's 25, verses 24 to 26, um, here's what it says. It says, indeed, there were twins in her womb, talking about Jacob's mother, he was one of a twin, and the first came out red, and he was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau, because they named kids kind of that way. So Esau comes out with a reddish, he was reddish and he was hairy. And so guess what Esau means? Red hair. So that's his name. So they called him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out. So Esau was the firstborn and his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. And so his name was called Jacob. Now Jacob in the Hebrew means heel grabber. It means uh, supplanter. It means deceiver. And so it's interesting, isn't it, that, that Esau took on the characteristics of, of a red hairy guy because his love is hunting. He goes out and he loves to spend time hunting and in the woods and, 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 and things like that. And Esau loves to spend time at home. I, I, you know, he was a good cook. And so we see in their identity that Jacob, though, comes out in a way that kind of, it kind of sets his destiny. 
So think about this. He was always grabbing. He was always trying to get for himself something that didn't really belong to him. That was Jacob's whole life story until where we're going to get to today. And so what we see is that, that and I, I, I put this in here, listen, I only put this in here for one reason. It says Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. I just put that in for my wife. So anyway, moving right along. I'm 61. I'm 61. I'm 61. I held a little baby. I held Kyle's little baby, Simeon, yesterday, and I thought, wow, it'd be so awesome to have one of these. These are better than puppies. And then he grunted and made this really bad bodily noise, and I said, Maybe a puppy would be better. I don't know. I'm 61. Anyway, he was 60 years old. So anyway, moving right along. And so it says, it, it, it goes on now, jump over here to Genesis 26 in verse 31. Here's how, here's how it depicts Jacob's heel grabbing. It says, now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. He was, he was so weary, he, th- he thought he was going to die. He went out without food. He was, he was weak. He thought he was just going to perish. And Esau has cooked this really good stew. And, and Esau, uh, Jacob says, look, uh, or Esau says, can I have some of this stew? I'm, I'm going to die. And, he, and Jacob says, well, look, if I'll, give you, I'll give you a bowl of soup, but you've got to give me your birthright. Now, the birthright was that there were two things that were really important to to a Hebrew son. Number one was the birthright. The birthright was to the firstborn son. So in other words, the firstborn son got his portion and another portion. So if there were like four sons, things would be divided five ways, and he would get two portions, and the rest of the sons would get their portion. Does that make sense to everybody? So let, let me explain it like in terms you, you can grab, money terms. So let's say, there were, let's say there were a total of four brothers, and, and, uh, and, and so there's a, a, a $125 inheritance. I know this, but just so you can wrap your mind. So the, the five, it would be five portions of $25. And the firstborn would get $50, and the others would get $25 each. Does that mean? And that would be, so he got double. And this was something Jacob wanted. He wanted, he wanted this birthright. He, it shows ambition. It shows that he was, he was grabbing for something. But it did not belong to him, but he used, he used an opportunity uh, in manipulation to bring his brother to the place where he would sell his birthright for a cup of soup. And Esau says this, what is this birthright to me? You see, and I, I put this in here, this verse, it says, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, he ate, and he went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now the word despised there in the Bible doesn't mean that he hated it. Listen to me now. Because this is a word, this is why you do, this is why we study the Bible. Because it, it depicts things that we would just miss. We would think, well, if you read that, well, he hated his birth. It doesn't mean that he hated his birthright. The word despise means to take lightly. It just means he took it lightly. How many of you know that when you go through life, many times our values get messed up in the pursuit of things and we start taking things that we should take very seriously, we take very lightly. And there's things that we take lightly that we should take very seriously. And what we would say is that person despises this or they take this lightly. How many of you know that, that, that Jesus should not be despised? You should never take Jesus lightly. 
But look at how Jesus is presented in our culture, in our country. We, we are trying to, you know, I, I, here's talking about a Christmas story. I remember walking in after the, the day after Christmas to a store one time, and they had this whole display, and it, and it had this manger scene and all this, and it said, Jesus, half off. Kind of like, wow, that's bad. Maybe. Now they've discounted Jesus. But listen, that's the world has discounted Jesus. The world has taken Jesus very lightly, despised him. Esau had a birthright, a double portion to him, but he despised it. He took it lightly, and he was, here's how lightly he took it. He was willing to trade it for a bowl of beans. That's what it, in the scripture, it was like a bowl of bean soup. I love beans. I love beans. I love beans and cornbread. Mm, yum, yum. But I'm not going to sell my birthright for a bowl of beans. But there have been places in my life where I esteem the things of God way too lightly. I think back where I used to be in my life and in my walk. The fact that I'm standing here today is just a miracle of God's grace because I didn't, I didn't esteem my calling, my birthright, my sonship the way I should. And, and, and here I am today but by God's grace because God shows me just how important my birthright is. I'm, I'm preaching this to you today because I want you to see how important your birthright is as sons and daughters of God because many of us take it too lightly. Many of us are walking through life without the realization of our sonship and our daughtership like Brad was talking about and because of our disconnection to the birthright we're living like slaves. I'm about to preach. So let's go. Are you ready? Let's go on a little bit further. You with me? Here's what Mark 8.37 says. Jesus asked this question. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul. Saul, or I'm sorry, Esau exchanged his birthright for a bowl of soup. You with me? Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. What would you give for your birthright? What would you take for your birthright? Do you love and protect your birthright? Or at the first physical inconvenience or discomfort, you'd be willing to trade it for a momentary satisfaction. So let's move on a little bit more about Esau's heel grabbing. In Genesis 27, 18, Jacob's mom comes to him and says, uh, he says that uh, Isaac is about to bestow the blessing and he's going to give it to Esau. He told him to go out and kill some game and fix it the way he loved it because the Bible says clearly, I read this to you last week, that Esau loved Jacob or loved Esau. He loved Esau's food. He loved Esau's, he just loved Esau. Jacob took that as a form of rejection, and in a sense it was. And, and so his mother concocts a plan and says, I want you to fix, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix some food. I want you to go in to your father, who is blind, by the way. Now he's old and he's blind. He's about to pass. He can't see. And the problem is, you know, the Bible says that Esau was hairy and Jacob was fair-skinned. And, he go, and, J, and uh, Jacob is like, when I get in there, he's going to touch me. And, and if, he, if he figures out I'm trying to deceive him, he'll curse me, not bless me. And his mom says, I got this covered. And she had taken a, a goat and skinned it. And she put the fur on his neck and his hands. So when, he, when, when Isaac felt him, he would feel the hairiness. And she put on, she put on him, uh, listen to this, she put on Esau's coat. And Esau was a hunter, so Esau's coat smelled like a hunter's coat. 
You know, you know hunters go out and they get real stinky on purpose? Did you know that? I ain't even going to tell you what all that is. It's disgusting. Because animals pick up the scent, and so they, you know, his coat had a scent of, of animals and everything. And so they, so listen to this, Jacob hides his identity and puts on an, another man's coat. You get this picture with me? He puts on goat hair. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I can just imagine him going, ooh, you're hairy today. And, and, and here's the thing. Listen to what it says. He said to him, look at the top right here. He said to him, are you really my son Esau? You know, Isaac may have been blind, but he wasn't stupid. And it's, it, smells, it smells right. It felt right. But he, he just kind of, you get the feeling that he's like, but something ain't right here. Have you ever had that feeling in your life where you're trying to be something and do something to get something, and deep down on the inside you're like, but something ain't right here. You're just not at peace with yourself. And, 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 and he says, are you really my son Esau? And he said, everybody look at it, everybody say this with me, I am. What was he doing right there? He was what? He was what? He lied. Can you imagine that? I know none of y'all have ever lied. None of you have ever worked in any kind of deception of any sort. But here Jacob's saying, I am. What is he, what is he, what is he doing? He's saying, I am Esau. And, and so his father asking him, are you really my son? Are you really Esau? And finally he convinces him and he gets the blessing. He grabs the heel of Esau and fulfills a prophecy that was given to his mother when they were pregnant, preg when she was pregnant with him and said the younger or the elder will serve the younger. And so Jacob gets the blessing because he deceives his father. Now listen to this, listen to this with me. The problem with pretending to be something you are not is God cannot bless the person you are not. See, God is in the blessing business. Make no mistake about it. God loves and lives to bless us. God's heart is to bless you, not to curse you. I come against that religious mindset that says God's out to get me. God is, if, if God is out to get you, he's out to get you to bless you. His whole heart is to bless you and to show you his goodness. The whole heart of God has been misrepresented by a lot of preachers that, that preach a vengeful God. And if you step out of line, God is going to stomp on you. That is not the God that we serve today. God is a God of mercy. He's a God of love. He's a God of grace. He's not waiting for you to step out of line. He's waiting for you to turn to him so he can pour out a blessing on you. And there won't even be room enough to receive it. Hallelujah. That's the God I serve. But here's the problem. God can't bless someone whom you're not. So if you're trying and pretending to be something you're not, like, es like Jacob was trying to pretend he was Esau, it's really hard for God to bless Jacob while he's pretending to be Esau. I submit to you this morning that the, the, pro the problem many of us have here today is we've been asking God to bless a person we have been pretending to be instead of getting honest with God and say, God, here I am. Here's the real me. We can't hardly even look at it, but we just open our hearts and say, God, here I am. And God wants to bless the real you, and I'm going to show you how he did that with Jacob. So Jacob spends 21 years posing, pretending, and posturing. I just love that. Last week when God gave me those three words, I just, I've just been like 
so recognizing that is the, that's, the, that's the story of my life. I was posing, pretending, posturing, posturing, always trying to work for some advantage, trying to get some blessing by trying to pretend I was something that God never intended me to be. I was always trying to work some angle, always trying to get over on somebody because I thought I got to get over on them to get what belongs to me. When in reality, what I am and what God wanted to do with me had nothing to do with them. See, some of you sitting here today, you think your problem is them. You're like, oh man, that's really good. I wish so-and-so would have heard that. (laughs) Listen to me. Jacob spends 21 years. Get this. He was 60 years old. Remember? 60 years old, Terry. He was 60 years old when he had babies. (laughs) Moving right along. So he was 60 years old. It's now he's up in his 80s. And Esau and him haven't met for these 21 years. Hello? Esau's a little ticked. He's had 21 years to grow in his bitterness and his hatred toward his brother who stole his birthright and then stole his blessing. Are you with me? All of a sudden, let's go, look at this, this is really good. We came to your brother Esau, so here's a report that comes back. I'm, I'm trying to cut this down because, because of time, obviously, but this is out of, gen- now we're jumping ahead to Genesis 32. Here's a report that comes to Jacob. He says, we're coming, or he says, your brother Esau's coming, and he's coming to meet you. And I can just, like, Jacob's like, ooh, good. And he's got 400 men with him. ruh row. 400? 400 men? He ain't coming for dinner. You get it? He's bringing an army because he's mad and he's going to take what his brother has wrongfully took from him. And so it says... Genesis 32, 22. This, 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 let's turn to this because I do want to take a minute here. This is important. So I'm going to read to you Genesis 32, verse 22. Is that all right? Now that I've opened my Bible and my iPad, it's official. I've actually preached this morning. Genesis 32, 22. This is one of those verses that I read and I'm like, wow, that's interesting. You know, and I love to study and I love to do the word studies and everything. So here's what it says. And he, Jacob is scared. I'm going to tell you right now, Jacob is scared. 400 men with his brother are coming. He divides his family up and he separates them because he feels like, well, if he kills this group, maybe this group will survive. And I mean, see what he's, he's still, he's still heel grabbing. He's still conniving. He's still, this is his nature. He's trying to figure out a way out of this. He's trying to, he's got his brother coming. How do I get out of this mess? Listen, that's part, that's, that's some, it's just about something that's interwoven in us. We're always trying to work some kind of angle. And now that the end is near, listen to what verse 22 says. He rose up that night. He took his two wives, his two woman servants, his 11 sons, Whew. he gathers them up in the middle of the night. That's not when you travel usually in, the, in, the, in this region of the world. You don't travel by night. It's dangerous. But this is what fear does. This is what fear is doing. He rose up that night, took his wives, took his women servants, his 11 sons, passed over the Fort Jabbok. Now look at that, and, and I, so I look up the word Jabbok, because I feel like that's got some significance here. Because see, God's about to encounter Jacob. He's 21 years he's went on. He's done all this working, 
shucking, jiving. He's just been a crooked, deceiving, self-reliant, self-sufficient, ambitious, heel-grabbing deceiver. And he's still at it. He gathers his family up and he crosses over Jabok. When he gets on the other side of Jabok, here's what happens. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him. Now, you know what Jabok means? It means the place of emptying. Now, get this it means the place of emptying. Do you know the problem that we have today when we say, well, what do we need? We need to be filled with God. Do you know that it's not a problem getting filled with God? You know what the problem is? Getting empty of yourself. Because God only can fill one kind of vessel, an empty one. God can, listen, I didn't say a clean one. You know, we got this theology going around that says, God won't dwell in an unclean temple. No, that's not true. If that was true, God wouldn't dwell in any of us. You see, the moment God comes in, he takes what's unclean and he makes it The idea is, okay, I'm going to clean myself up and I'm going to come to God. Are you crazy? What you do is you come to God and God says, well, let's get to work here. All right, God, fill me. No, let's start somewhere else. All right, God, give me more. No, you don't need more. What do you mean I don't need more? Problem is you got too much of you now. What do you need, more of you you need more determination, more self-will, more of your own works, more of your own stinking thinking. You need more? No, what you need is to get empty. You know the first key that God's work in our lives is that he confronts us to empty us. You know how you know if you're empty or not? When you stop fighting God. I watch it happen every Sunday when people would give an invitation. And I say, if you need something from God, come. You know what I see? I see this big battle going on in people's hearts. You know what the battle is? They're not empty. And their thought is, well, I, I don't really, I don't think I need to go up there. But you know, if you were empty, you know what you'd do? <laughs> because if you were empty you'd realize I need something to be in me. And the, the key to this, the key to the move of God is not that God is not willing to fill people, it's that God can't fill people who are full of themselves. That's really good preaching right there. Pastor Mike, that's some of the best preaching I've ever heard. Yeah, preach on, brother. That will not make you a popular preacher. People get this, you know, if I was up here going, yeah, let's get filled, and yeah! And then you walk out of here still full of yourself. Come on, somebody lay hands on me. I need to be filled. No, what you need is to be emptied. What you need is to be emptied of yourself. And when you are emptied of yourself, God will fill you up because God will always fall on empty, broken vessels. But the problem with the church today is the church is not broken. The church is not empty. The church isn't even hungry. Well, Pastor, you just ruined my morning. Good. Good. Because the breakthrough you need is when you're going to be left alone, face to face with God. And a man, notice, it's, notice this in the Bible. It, notice, I didn't do this. The Bible capitalized, the word of God capitalizes the word man. Do you know why that is? Because this man is a person who shows up throughout the Old Testament in what we call manifestations or revelations, and they, the places that, there's places that the Bible says angel. 
Here it's a man with a capital M. Do you know who this is? Do you know who this man is? It's the Old Testament revelation of Jesus. In one, in one verse, it's, 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 it's translated Elohim. And, the, and so they gave it the name angels. Because the writer said, well, that, that could, how can that be? Elohim, that's the name for God. Who was Jacob wrestling with? God. Jesus. Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. I hope that, listen, I know some of y'all, that theology just blows your mind. Listen, he was the word. He was in the beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Don't tell me, oh, Jesus couldn't show up in the Old Testament. Oh, liar, liar, pants on fire. I find Jesus almost everywhere I turn in the Old Testament. Jesus, he's eternal, the beginning and the end. Jacob isn't just wrestling with a man, he's wrestling with the man. (laughs) I'm going to tell you something some of y'all don't even understand. Y'all thinking, you know, the devil's just out to get me. (laughs) Now, you know what's happening? The man is staring you in the face. And he said, I, I want to bless you. And so he wrestled. Now, wrestling is like, you, can't, you cannot wrestle without having close contact. You ever notice that? You know, you can box and stay away and run. But when you wrestle, anybody that knows anything about wrestling, you lock up and you start working your weight and your Whole, your whole body's involved, your whole being is involved because wrestling is a, is a contact, close one-to-one contact and this is what wrestling, this man wrestled with him until the break, say this, breaking of the day. Here's, listen to me, you know what's going to happen here? It ain't just the day that's going to break. It's Jacob. Until the breaking of the day it goes on, it says, he did not prevail against him. Now, this is talking about the man. Jesus did not, he did not overwhelm him. He's wrestling. Jacob is not letting go. Jacob's life is on the line. Jacob realizes, I got nowhere to go from here. Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, my, my brother's coming with 400 men, and I'm not letting you go. He's, and, and, and so it says, he touched the socket of his hip. Remember how old did I say Jacob was at this time? Somewhere around 81. You know, if, if I was wrestling at 81, I think I'd, my hip would go out of joint too. <laughs> See, why, did, why did God cause his socket to go out of his hip? Because you can't wrestle anymore once your lower body is immobilized. You lose your lower body and you're done. And Jacob realizes this is over. And the man, Jesus, prevailed against him, and he wrestled with him. But Jacob said, even then, I will not let you go until you bless me. See, some of you sitting right here today, you let go way too quick. And it just shows you how full of yourself you are. You let go way too quick because God... I heard a guy say this the other day, man. It's just been, it's been hounding me because I'm, I'm 61 years old. I've been saved for over 30 years. And I've been just like Jacob. I've been full of myself. I've been, I, 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 I'm, sure, I'm sure God has sat in heaven and went, oh, Jesus, what are we going to do with him? Jesus said, I got this. And, I, and in this, I've wrestled with God, and, and I heard this guy say this the other day. He said, never trust a man that doesn't walk with a limp. And you know what he's saying? When you are wounded by God, when God wounds you, 
it will change your life. Many of you are walking around with the world's wounds. And as I shared last week, you walk with a father wound, a mother wound. You walk around with a self-inflicted wound. You have many wounds from, from your hurts and offenses that you've carried your whole life. And then you come to God, and you know what God does? He inflicts a divine wounding on you because what he wants you to do is stop wrestling with him. He wants you to come to him for who you are and what your real person is. See, now he says, Jacob was left alone, and he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, get this. So he said to him, what is your name? Remember when Isaac asked him that? What did he say? I'm Esau. Now he's wrestling with God. What does he say? My name's Jacob. I'm a deceiver. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a supplanter. I'm a heel grabber. You see what's happened here? It's really hard to stand before God sometimes and say, God, I'm Jacob. But that's exactly what needs to happen because look at how this, look at how this goes. Are you ready for this? And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Once he admitted, I'm Jacob, God said, I'm going to change your name. You know what Israel means? A prince with God. Do you see the identity change? No longer are you going to be called Jacob. I want you to quit calling yourself and thinking of yourself as Jacob. Now you shall be called Israel. As a prince with God, you have prevailed. Can I tell you today, listen to me. God, when, he, when you come to God, he takes all you are, all your past, all the junk, and he gives you not just a new life. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. You know what else you get? You get a new name. You get a new nature. You get a new life. You get a new home. And many people are living in a mistaken identity because they keep seeing themselves and thinking of themselves and confessing to themselves that I'm Esau. And then they come and say, well, I'm Jacob. And then God says, no, you're Israel. Are you confused? God's not. You see these two young ladies up here? This is one of the craziest cases of mistaken identity ever. The girl on the left is named Misty. The girl on the right is named Laura. They kind of look alike, don't they? So they were in a van in 2006 as students of Taylor University. They were on I-69 in a, I think it was I-69 if I remember the details, and a truck passed over and hit the van they were in, and five students from Taylor University were killed instantly. Laura is the one, Laura Van Arn is on the right. <clears throat> when they put what they thought was Laura in the ambulance, the reason they did is they, the purse, there was a purse laying by the body. They put her in the purse in. When they got to the hospital, they put the tubes in. Her, her body is mashed and swollen, and, and it was hard to even see her face from the trauma that she went through. But they looked at the purse, and they said, well, it's, it's, uh, it's Laura. But she was in a coma. She was in a coma for 21 days. In the meantime, Wendy's funeral was a week later. And Wendy, and Wendy had a funeral at the church on the grounds at Taylor University, and 1,400 people attended her funeral. 
1,400 people packed in this church to say goodbye to Wendy. After the 21st day, what they thought was Laura came back to consciousness. Within a few days, they asked her, said, would you write your name? When they handed her a tablet, she wrote Wendy. They had misidentified the girls. They held a funeral for Wendy, and it was Laura who had actually died. The Van Arns had sat for 21 days by Wendy's bed. Now things switched. Here's the thing. So in 2010, get this, 2010, Wendy, who had been in that church, her, and, and they had had her funeral in this church, is now walking down the aisle getting married in the church that they held her funeral in. Pastor Mike, that's bizarre. Look it up. It's some interesting stuff on. Actually, Wendy gave a talk a few couple years ago at Taylor as a tremendous testimony. It's still sad because, you know, it was sad for the Van Arn family. But how, how would you like to think, how would you like to have attended your daughter's funeral and then be told your daughter's not dead? which precipitated some new law changes on how the people are identified. Because immediately when she came to, wrote her name, they ran dental records and found out, yeah, this, this is Wendy, not Laura. Can you imagine? Here's the thought that I have, and I want to leave with you this morning. Even though their names got mixed up, their identities confused, She got married in the same church that she had a funeral in. Here's what I was seeing in my heart. Wouldn't it be awesome to see your destiny fulfilled at this altar where you first said die or goodbye to your Esau and even to your Jacob so you could become the Israel of God and God could unleash his destiny. Because your, your walking in your wrong identity is keeping you from your destiny. So we're going to, I want you to just sit, bow your heads real, just quietly listen to the voice of the Lord. And I've asked Rachel to sing an old, old song. You know, we've been doing these prayer meetings and we've been pulling out some old songs and Rachel came up to me, I think it was last week, and she said, you know, as you were preaching, she said, God put a song on my mind, and, and she said, it's, he knows my name. You know, do you know what your name means? I looked up your name this morning. You know what Rachel means? Little lamb. Did you know that? <laughs> Rachel's going to come and sing. I asked, I said, well, you, I want you to share that song. This is the song, He Knows My Name. Now, you young people are not going to know this song. And then you people my age are going to go back in your mind and go, yeah. I remember when we sang that song 25, 30 years ago. And so I want you to, I want you to just to listen to the words of this song, He Knows my name. And I so appreciate Rachel's willingness to share it. She used to be a song leader. I just honor her because she had, she had, she had, yeah, go ahead. She's one of them that has passed on the baton and God has used this lady. She, she is a great lady to know. You should get to know this lady. You should really get to know her. You ready, Rachel? Is that mic on? We want to hear every word. There you go. Sing it, hon.
tear that falls and he hears me when I call I have a father he calls me his own he'll never leave me no matter where I go he knows my Stand. Hallelujah. 